Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to TED Talks Ball. Super excited. It's a rare chance that I get evening shows, but I want to have an outstanding opportunity to talk to somebody like Rohan Chakravarti. Uh, then sometimes my wife will pitch in and relieve me of my daddy duty to take care of our three-year-old son uh, so I can talk to all stars like Rohan here. So Rohan, thanks for joining. You guys know, may know him at Rohan Chakrav on Twitter. And then also uh, Ron uh, Chakravarti on, uh, or sorry, the Ron Chakravarti show on YouTube. Uh, I've got the link in the description. Um, but we're also simulcasting to his uh, channel, so we may have folks in both channels. I'll do my best to show all the chats uh, from both, so that nobody has to feel like they're missing out uh, by being in uh, the other channel. And if you're watching on my channel, make sure you go like and subscribe to Rohan. And I would ask the folks watching in Rohan's channel to do the same for me and Ted Talks Ball. Uh, that way we all uh, thrive and uh, you know do well. So Rohan, thanks for joining. And anything I may have missed, anything that you want to add? No, I mean, appreciate you for having me on. Glad we could uh, get a time fixed, obviously, this week uh, earlier when you reached out. And yeah, I mean, excited to talk ball. Um, like you said, if you're on his channel, would appreciate if you come over to mine, give me some love. Same if you're on my channel watching, make sure you go give Ted some love. And uh, yeah, let's get this uh, show rolling. There we go. There we go. So uh, we've got some early chat folks here who came in before Jimmy Perez was in at noon saying, what's up, guys? Thanks, Jimmy, for joining. We appreciate it. Um, and then uh, had a couple of haters show up, too. I'm not going to flash their stuff because it was... You know, not true and unflattering, but they say that you haven't made it in this game until you've got some haters. And so I've got a couple and, and they've popped into a few of my shows. So uh, uh, just enjoying, just I'd say thanks for watching, guys. It's uh, really awesome to have you. Even if you don't like what I do, uh, you're supporting me by watching either way. So thanks a lot for the views. It's uh, much appreciated. Um, so Rohan, you know, obviously off season, you would think there'd be nothing to talk about. But uh, always in Ninerland, there's lots of things. It's been a while since you and I talked, so I don't even know if we've talked about draft stuff since the last time we got together. Um, so that's something we could talk about, too, if we get time. But, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, uh, NFLPA uh, just ranked Purdy the number one. Uh, returning veteran, rising v returning veteran, young or rising young returning veteran, whatever the terminology is, uh, ahead of uh, Garrett Wilson and uh, Tony Pollard 
and uh, some of the other really hot sort of you know, not so much rookies anymore, but also maybe under 25 is the cutoff for that. I'm not sure. But uh, I was going to get your thoughts on what you thought about that NFLPA or if you if you'd seen that, if you're aware of it. I have not. So if you don't mind, you might show me uh, just like maybe the top five or something like that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was like uh, Purdy was number one. Uh, Pollard, I think, was three. Garrett Wilson, I think, was two. And uh, there were a few other uh, folks in there. I'm trying to just scroll down and pick up um, where I I should have sent you this stuff before the show. So my apologies on that. Um, But ultimately, it was... um, Um, so, oh, Patrick Sertan was another one in that top five grouping. So Sertan, Garrett Wilson, Tony Pollard, and Purdy were some, apparently a lot of it is, is really just as simple as Jersey sales, but they've all had explosive Jersey sales. And so the NFL equates that to a rising star, which, you know, uh, I think there is some correlation to Jersey sales and at least some popularity, uh, with, with young players. Um, I mean, if we're talking about jersey sales specifically, I can understand it. The four players you name, well, the three players alongside Purdy, all three of them are very good at what they do. Garrett Wilson, obviously the offensive rookie of the year last year. Um, he, he's a dynamic player, and he plays for the New York Jets, which obviously has seen a lot of excitement the last uh, few years. Patrick Sertan's a, a top young corner, a guy who I was high on coming out of that draft class, I believe, in what was it, 2022? Um, and then you talk about Tony Pollard. Plays for Dallas, obviously a big fan base there and uh, an exciting player for Dallas. And then obviously Purdy plays for a huge fan base in the 49ers, and he's a quarterback. If you're talking about the top returners, I think all four players are better than Purdy. But obviously if you factor in um, what I'm assuming they factor in in terms of positional value, then I think it, you you can definitely make the argument that the quarterback is the most valuable position in the NFL. And so, yeah, I mean, I I don't have too many necessarily disparaging thoughts. I think it's understandable given the jersey sales. And also, if you talk about the rest of, you know, um, that group itself, I, I I mean, it's a good group to be about uh, among. So, yeah, uh, that's what I got to say. No, no doubt. I wonder, I, uh, I wonder how far out of those top four someone like Sauce Gardner would be because I know he was uh, a pretty popular player. And a lot of people are putting him up there as like, I don't know, am I seeing people saying he's the number one corner in the league now all of a sudden? I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm seeing stuff like not just the number one young guy, but just number one overall or number one in the ASC or I don't know. It seems like he's getting a lot of and, and well-deserved. I mean, he's a great corner, no doubt about it. But I don't know if he's number one in the AFC or number one overall or anything like that. Uh, I'm surprised go ahead, that he's go. not on that list because he was an all-pro, uh, all-pro in his rookie year. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Real quick, just want to call out Fernando Fornaris throw uh, throwback in the house. Uh, we got Ramilia Sports Report. He's a he's a Rams fan, a little bit of a troll, so he likes to troll us about '94 being our last championship, coming up on 29 years since our last Super Bowl. But uh, you know, welcome to all viewers. As long as you behave, uh, we're happy to have you. And I always just say to the Rams fans, you know, if it's been so long, how come you guys only have half? And really, if you're saying you have uh, two out of five that we have, you're probably lying anyway because you probably weren't a St. Louis Rams fan anyhow. Because we all know there aren't many crossovers between St. Louis Rams and L.A. Rams anyway. Um, Mariah Faithfully in the house saying, yo, yo, yo. Welcome, Mariah. Everybody make sure you check out her channel. Um, 
She and Taryn Lewis do great work over there. They always have fun giveaways, lots of good cards uh, and, and good swag that they give away to uh, their listeners for free. Uh, we've got Edward Ascoli in the house. Say, yay, Niner Bros. Thanks, Edward, for joining. We appreciate it. Jim Everett, the great in the house, said Kyle controlled his QBs with a PS5 controller. Um, you know, I think we saw a little bit of that more with, um, looks like we lost Rohan here for a minute, but I'm sure he'll be back. Uh, I think we saw more of that actually with uh, Sean McVay and uh, Jared Goff. That um, that McVeigh the most boneheaded thing possible. I was yeah, tabs on the computer, and I just xed out the tab. Oh, you know, I, I'm surprised I have never done that myself. Especially when you get a lot of tabs and they start getting really small, and there's like barely any difference between the X and the rest of the tab. Like, I'm surprised it hasn't happened to me. I'll just say that, and and no worries, man. I, I knew you'd be right back, and uh, I was just reading. Uh, Jim Everett, the great uh, thing, he said Kyle controlled his QBs with a PS5 controller. And I said, actually, that was kind of more um, McVeigh with Jared Goff, where he would be in there talking to him right up to the 15-second cutoff. And finally, defensive coordinators started to figure that out, and they would basically wait to do their shift until until McVeigh was out of Goff's ear, and then Goff couldn't do anything, and he was highly ineffective. Uh, at dealing with defensive shifts that without McVeigh being able to guide him through, tell him exactly what to do, right? I mean, I think that's a little bit of projection by a Rams fan on to us. Um, see what else we got here. Uh, this chat's really starting to pick up here. So we got Spider Niner in the house saying howdy. Welcome, Spider Niner. Thanks for joining. We got uh, Potato Hammer. Uh, Rohan, one of the greatest. Absolutely. I always say great guests make for good shows. Uh, you know, like my guests carry me the way our run game, Kyle, and our weapons and defense carry Jimmy G. So uh, that's, that's the key is to have great guests. It makes these shows so much better. Also great audience. You know, great audience makes for uh, really unique and interesting shows. Uh, so I credit uh, my guests and my audience for uh, any success that I've had. Uh, Romilia Sports Report says Rams have four, Ted. Now, we don't count the two, you know, when there was like 12 teams playing in leather helmets. Uh, winning an NFC Championship game over 16 teams now is more impressive than those 12-team or 18 <laughs> championships. Those are not even Super Bowls. We're talking Super Bowls, bro, Super Bowls. Keep 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 with the combo. And then uh, Edward Scully says, I like Purdy better, but it's too early yet. Do you have a favorite, Ron? Are, are you – I mean, I think most of us like both Lance and Purdy, but like, do you have a slight preference for one or like a big preference for one? No, nah, I don't have preferences. I don't really, uh, if we're being totally honest, don't really care who starts. Um, 49ers are the ones who see each quarterback the most. I think that Kyle Shanahan is just going to be the, just going to take the guy who he believes is the most ready. Um, and that's where there's a lot of speculation coming out about, you know, Brock Purdy. I'm sure we get it. Uh, we, we get into it, right? But, yeah, I, I don't really care. Um, whoever starts, whoever starts, um, that's who they believe is the best option for their offense. And, I mean, that offense has been prolific with whoever they believe um, can can you know, can lead them there, regardless of what that quarterback play has been like. So, don't really – yeah, I don't really care. I, I think um, either quarterback is going to lead the 49ers at least to the playoffs, if not more. Absolutely. I, I, I really like Purdy a lot. Um, and I just kind of like the idea of what I think Lance could be better. 
if he could hit that ceiling, but like, there's no guarantees that Lance will hit that. And Purdy's definitely showed more so far. I'd just say that Purdy's had more at his disposal with CMC, uh, you know, because Lance had no CMC and barely had Kittle. But, you know, people point out that Purdy was missing Debo for part of that run that he had. So, um, you know, the Purdy did a damn good job. I, I just I just don't go off QB wins exclusively. Uh, Larry Kruger really is big on saying, like, let's forgive Darnold for his QB losses. And I'm like, great. I, I agree. Darnold could do better here than he's done anywhere else. I, I think that's pretty probable, actually. But at the same time, if we're going to forgive uh, Darnold for QB losses, then we can't really crown Purdy just for QB wins. Um, now there's other things Purdy's done really well and that maybe we can crown him for. And I think we'll get to that here. I was just kind of waiting for things to ramp up, but we're starting to get there real quick. Just want to say Chris Hansen in the house. That's uh, from to catch a predator. Uh, so it's a, a you know, fake account, but, uh, he says Rams have two, not four. He's agreeing with that. Jim with the great says Rams have three Patriots stole one Spygate. So we got some tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff going on here. I like, uh, I'm a definitely a tinfoil hat guy. I always look for things that might be going on behind the scenes, but ultimately at the end of the day, Rams have two Super Bowl wins and anything else is just sort of crying. If you ask me, um, Rohan, uh, so, so we both like both QBs. Awesome. You've probably seen, uh, you know, the, um, Alex Rollins video where he came out and he basically said that, uh, Purdy and Jimmy were the same QB essentially. Um, I mean, I'm willing to say similar, but uh, I was kind of saying, I think Purdy's better, you know, just in an absolute sense. And then he has two things really going for him uh, beyond that in that he's younger and he's uh, cheaper. I mean, ridiculously cheaper, 24 times cheaper. Um, but uh, what did you think of that Alan Draw- Alex Rollins video and all this conversation going around in Ninerland? I'll be totally honest. I did not watch the video. Um but I've seen the chatter about it, and I have a good idea of what that video is talking about. Essentially, in a way, comparing Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy's game, the title of our video today. And so, to me, here's what I, I, I think that I won't go as far as saying that they're the same person, but I also understand the premise of the video isn't saying they're the exact same person, but rather uh, operate under similar pretenses and have similar play styles. I think there are some differences between the two. I think Purdy um, is a better improviser than Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and, I, I mean, obviously you can talk about knickknacks, right? Garoppolo has a quicker release. That's 100% sure. Um, you can debate arm strength if you want. You can debate uh, – obviously I think Purdy has a little bit more of a willingness to throw downfield. But in terms – I think the pre- premise of the argument is that both quarterbacks um, thrive in the short and intermediate game. While also, you know, they're they're not they don't have the strongest arms, which limits their downfield capacity and also limits throws that, um, you know, sometimes are early reads in the Shanahan offense where you got to just let it rip because of their unwillingness to sometimes let it rip. Um, you can talk about turnover rates and different things like that. Obviously, Garoppolo had a pretty the one really main thing about Garoppolo last year, his turnover rate was really low and his turnover worthy play rate was also pretty damn low. That was why the 49ers offense was pretty damn efficient before, uh, or, you know, during that stretch, Christian McCaffrey obviously played a huge role into it. We'll get to him later. Um, Purdy, I'd say was a little more turnover worthy prone. You look at his turnover worthy play rate. It was um, pretty high in comparison to Garoppolo's last year. So you talk about the different, uh, uh, there, there are differences 
in it. But I think the biggest question that surrounds that video and um, that you get out of that video is we know when Jimmy Garoppolo is in the NFL and his ceiling is capped at around, you know, the middle of the pack for the quarterback rankings. I think that that is something that um, people people can say for certainty that right now his ceiling is packed, uh, you know, capped at that somewhat in that middle range. Um, you know, you, you could point to different things. Obviously, his veteran le- uh, veteranship, his injury history, his, um, you know, his limited athleticism in comparison to before and things like that. But the question is, can Brock Purdy have a higher ceiling than what Jimmy Garoppolo has and like a significantly higher ceiling to where he can catapult himself into the top 10 of quarterbacks? Because really in today's world, that's kind of what you need. That's kind of what you need. And I see a, uh, a comment real quick uh, about Purdy's yeah. touchdown and interception ratio. It was 3.25. I'm not talking about turnovers. It's turnover-worthy plays. It's plays that didn't necessarily land in a turnover, but so turnover-worthy plays. And I can't say the number right off the top of my head, but it was pretty high in comparison to what Jimmy Garoppolo had last year. That was my point. Not the exact turnovers itself. It was just the turnover-worthy play rate. Because, yeah, if we're being honest, he did get lucky with a couple of dropped interceptions and a couple of uh, you know inadvertent passes here and there. But that's my question uh, that I'll kick back to you, Ted, is what do you think Brock Purdy's ceiling is, and can it be in that top 10 of uh, quarterback range? Because that's what the 49ers are hoping for. Yeah, I mean, I think statistically he's already in there, but like if you're asking are there 10 quarterbacks in the league that could do it better in our system, I think there are now. Um, but I think he's close to it already. I think I've heard a lot of people say 15 to 12 range, and I like that for him. I mean, I'm never going to put him on a single number because, you know, it's just an opinion, and it's so hard to compare, especially, like I said, when all these QBs have different weapons and different coaches and different O-lines, uh, different run games. Uh, but, you know, you try to, you know, gauge it all. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's already close to top 10. So, yeah. I, I So, you know, someone was saying you can't, we don't know what either, um, Steve Supremo in the house, he said, we don't know what either ceiling is, LOL. And I think he means we don't know where they'll cap out. And that's true. I don't think Purdy has peaked. Uh, I'm virtually certain that Lance hasn't. Um, but, you know, I don't think Purdy has a huge amount more to go. I think Purdy, uh, well, let's say one way Purdy could really increase his ceiling is if during this rehab period, he increases his arm strength. Because for me, I see him as limited in three ways, limited arm strength, limited height, and limited top speed. And I just don't think he's going to grow or get faster. Uh, He is really quick. And people always beat me up because they say, well, top speed isn't even as important as quickness. I'm like, you're right. Quickness to me is more important than top speed. Um, but ultimately, and, and none of these things is a deal breaker by itself. Limited arm strength, there's plenty of great QBs with limited arm strength, plenty that were limited in height, plenty that were limited in top speed. But when you factor them all three together, that's when it starts to be like, oh, I think that could be, that, that could, again, I don't think it would keep him from being great, but it would make it a lot tougher to be great. Uh, I, I would bet, you know, I'd want higher odds to bet on it, I guess you could say. So, um, yeah, I think I think Purdy can improve. I think he can, uh, even if he doesn't improve his arm strength, which could happen here, um, he can improve his synchronization with the weapons. Like, for instance, in the NFC Championship game, when he got injured, uh, I believe if it was Debo or Jennings was open, and if he just hit him on the break, you know, 
Hassan Ridgeway would never gotten to him. Also, if he had stepped up in the pocket, so if he learns to be a little bit better pocket presence, not bail out back left all the time. Um, so yeah, there's definitely ways that Purdy can improve. Um, so yeah, I could see him being top 10. Yeah. Maybe even top eight, seven, somewhere in there. If, if, if everything breaks right for him, I just don't see him ever being like top five. I don't ever see him being like a Mahomes or a Burrow or a, a Herbert or uh Aaron Rodgers or, you know, these guys who can really carry a team, um, by themselves, you know, we've got a lot going on. We had, especially last year, we had the number one D. I felt like we had the best group of weapons. We had a really solid O line, and and we got Kyle. And that's the one thing that the video from Alex Rollins showed was that, you know, Jimmy or Purdy, guys are running wide open all the time, and all the QB has to do is hit them. And yeah, Jimmy is better early. He's better at the first reads. He's got a little bit stronger arm. Purdy's much better at the improvisation, the hitting of the later reads, the going through the progressions. Uh, he, he's he's much more uh, able to avoid pass rush and do things uh, late in the. I would say play clock, but that's the wrong way to say it. But the late late in the uh, in the play, or the actual play itself. Um, so yeah, so I think there's a lot of similarities, but ultimately, um, I think Purdy's just at least a little bit better overall. And then that's not even counting the fact that he's way younger and way cheaper. So then there's, I think there's a lot more reason to believe that Purdy can improve than Jimmy G. And we, I think we've all seen the best of what Jimmy G can do. I'll agree that, I mean, I think he can definitely improve um, over Jimmy G. And whether you say Purdy is already better than Jimmy G or whether he was better than Jimmy G last year, whatever your argument may be, I, I mean, I, I believe there's still room for growth. Now, obviously, the question is how much growth. But I think that there are things within the quarterback position that Purdy can improve on where it's not necessarily dedicated to his arm strength or things like, you know, the un, unimprovable things. You mentioned one the my biggest gripe with Rob Purdy was his pocket presence. I thought his pocket presence wasn't great in 2022. He flushed out. Uh, like you said, to that left side a lot when pressure came. He flushed out too early, and that didn't allow the reads in the Shanahan offense to progress, and you weren't able to – you essentially bailed on open reads at times. That's the main thing that I want Purdy to obviously improve on. Um, that and also the willingness to let it rip in between the second and third levels of the defense on some of those intermediate routes. He improved on that later in the season. But I think there is room for improvement. And yeah, Purdy's ceiling might be capped in general due to, you know, not necessarily the lack of arm strength, which means you, you can't throw uh, as deep as you might want all the time unless obviously the ball, uh, the, the player's open, uh, wide open enough. And so I think that overall, to me, like there is room for improvement. And if the 49ers have a top 10 quarterback, I think they win a Super Bowl. Um, and a lot. some people may debate that, understanding how valuable the position is in today's NFL. But I think if they have a top 10 quarterback, they've got a chance, uh, a really good chance to win a Super Bowl. And I think they still do, despite the uncertainty with their quarterback position. You talk about Trey Lance as well. Trey Lance is the unknown commodity. And his potential, a lot of people believe he could be one of the top quarterbacks in the league if he gets it together, right? Because he's got the arm strength. He's got the... He's got the athleticism. He's got good pocket presence as well. And so he's got 
like a certain mold of the traits, but the biggest traits for, for Trey Lance that he's got to improve on is the accuracy. And you can have the entire package, but if you don't have the accuracy that automatically towards you as a quarterback and really hinders your ability to be a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. And so Lance, the way for him to really progress in the NFL is for that floor to really start matching some of that potential. Because if if it's just potential the entire time, it, it, it doesn't really count for anything because you're not reaching the potential. It's there, but you're not reaching it unless, you know, that accuracy starts to get better. And that's been an issue with Lance the entirety of his short career. Obviously, not too much opportunity thus far for Trey Lance, but I think that that's something that you've got to you've got to you've got to mention as well. And right now with the 49ers, if we're being honest, the ceiling does not matter for either quarterback. The ceiling really doesn't matter. It's how well can they play? Well, it it somewhat does. How well they can how well do the 49ers believe that either quarterback can play through this entire season to where when they reach that playoff time which quarterback can provide them the biggest boost to win a Super Bowl. That's the way that I look at it. And so it's a mixture of floor and ceiling because you obviously have room to improve throughout the season, but they also want the guy who's ready to play. And that's the biggest question that's got to be answered as the uh, beginning of the season comes around. No doubt about it. You mentioned uh, turnover-worthy plays, and that was one thing that Alex Rollins highlighted for Purdy was that he had quite a few interceptions dropped. And so – while he has a very good TD to interception ratio that Terradome was putting up their 3.25 TDs to every INT could have been quite a bit higher. If a few people had uh, not dropped, including like very notable one would be Stefan Diggs in the uh, divisional round against the Cowboys where the ball was tipped near the line of scrimmage and Diggs it went right into his bread basket. But luckily I think because it was tipped, it threw off his timing and he, he just dropped it. But uh, there, there were quite a few dropped interceptions. And Jimmy was guilty of that a lot uh, earlier in his career. Like you said, it, it sounded like this season, Jimmy got that down a little bit to where there weren't so many. I, I remember I beat it, beat him up about that. There were at least two games this season. I remember when Jimmy played with CMC. I think it was the Chargers and maybe the Cards. And I was like, hey, Jimmy didn't throw any balls to the defense in either of those games. And I was like, that is, I got to give him credit because like, uh, it was always like he would have an interception or two every game, plus there'd be one or two dropped, uh, you know, by a linebacker or a safety underneath, lurking underneath, which seemed to always be his weakness over the middle. Um, so uh, Steve says, if pressure's coming from the right, is he supposed to roll right? And I think you're supposed to step up in that case, step up into the pocket, let the, let the tackle push the end, you know, around to the left and throw the ball quickly. But also the issue isn't necessarily that the pressure is coming to the right or the left. Instead, it's when the pressure is coming, when there is pressure, there's a difference between getting to the quarterback and uh, like, you know, and pressure is on the way. Because a lot of the time when you look at film, the reason that some of the plays, you know, weren't, um, weren't going through the entirety of that play or weren't getting to that first read is because Purdy sensed pressure was coming, but rather than staying in the pocket, like Ted said, either stepping up or staying where he was and being able to make that throw, he flushed out. And so teams at the end of the season started to pick up on that. And so what they would do is run stunts with their defensive line or with their linebackers to where they flushed out a defender to that left side, understanding that Purdy had a tendency to uh, to, to roll out to the left early 
due to pressure coming. And that's where they would get to the quarterback because they'd have a guy in place far to that left side where Purdy would end up going. And so, you know, it's things like that where he has to improve the pocket presence so that you don't have something susceptible in your game plan to where opponents can game plan against and then create unfavorable matchups against you to where it's really hard to stop in that case. No doubt about it, especially because, like you said, we don't need to hit these guys. These guys don't need to necessarily hit their ceilings to be a Super Bowl contending team in 2022, but 2023 might be very different. I mean, I would go out as far as to say that we were extremely healthy rolling into the 2022 playoffs other than the quarterback position, and you could argue Purdy was our best quarterback, so if he stays healthy, uh, that's a non-factor. And, uh, you know, it's basically Emmanuel Mosley. Like, I can't even think of another impact player we were missing for the playoffs. And Lenore played well in his stead. So, I mean, it's very easy for me to envision a situation where we need a lot more out of our QB in 2023 because at least injuries or even level of play, both, either could drop. I think both. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're kind of at a peak in 2022. Uh, but uh, it, real quick, just want to say uh, hi to Bryant Culp. He may have already left, said he couldn't stay. But he has a, a great channel. I just hit 100 subs, everybody. Be sure and check him out. Give him a like and subscribe. Some watches. He and his wife do great stuff. She has uh, some great all-female panels that she does. Tony Culp with an I. So check them out. Also, wanted to bring this one up. Jim Everett the Great was saying, if he survived the Steelers. Uh, and this is something that I've been talking about a little bit. Like, Do you think there's any advantage to maybe, I don't know, whichever quarterback you like uh, or, or, or whatever, um, but like maybe letting Purdy or Lance start week one because you really want the other one to pop in week two because it's a very unfavorable matchup for us in Pittsburgh against the Steelers who like we always start slow and they always start fast. I think they're 14 and two or 15 and one in their last 16 uh, opening day games. And so, and obviously their defense is very good. They're, they got TJ Watt back. They got Highsmith on the other side. Uh, one of those guys probably every, almost every down will be going up against McKibbitz, who will be making his first start at right tackle ever and really one of his, you know, maybe third start ever for us total. Oh, well, at tackle, I should say. He, he started at us for at guard some in 2020, I believe. But ultimately, I wonder if there's like everybody's so worried about who's going to start week one. And I something in my mind kind of says maybe it's if you like the guy you like, maybe it's not so good that he starts week one because then everybody's going to be calling for their head week two. Uh, and that's what's always going to happen with two QBs that you think are both viable. Uh, every loss, they're going to be like, put the other one in, put the other one in. I mean, not not that, you know, credible people, but you know how Niners Twitter is, right? And I mean, here's what I'll say. I, I, I don't really like the notion of having a guy week one with the intention of changing it in week two or week three. I, I right. believe that I'm the guy who you who you have in week one is the guy who you should feel confident in going into the season. Now I will say this with the preface. Well, two things. First of all, on the on the point about people calling for the quarterback's head after week one, I don't really think they care 
I don't think Kyle Shanahan cares about you know the 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 drama that could ensue in the media about if quarter if this quarterback's like not struggling and starting or if this other quarterback you know the the controversy that comes I don't really think they care but the other part that I'll say is I think this season is unlike most others under the Kyle Shanahan regime. And then I think this is the closest competition that they've had thus far. And so I, I question the precedents that Kyle Shanahan has set in sticking really with a quarterback throughout the entirety of the season, regardless of the faults. I think that if there are struggles for one of the starting quarterbacks, while I don't know if he'd pull him necessarily, I think there would be an increased tendency um, to at least consider a change understanding that there's an urgency to go far this season with the potential tough decisions you have to make in, in the in the following offseason, maybe even surrounding your core skill players. Yeah, there's going to be some changes, no doubt, down the road. So yeah, maybe if it's not 2023, maybe it's 2024 where we're going to need more out of the QB. And that's why I, I lean towards Lance, just because that idea of the higher ceiling, even if we don't know he'll reach it, I just want to see what we got with the guy. We invested all this draft capital in him this time. Uh, I just want to see, I just don't want to see him go and hit that ceiling on another team. I feel like Kyle will never live it down and he might not be very long tenured here after that. And, and us as fans, we'll never hear the end of it. And that that's sort of the bigger thing for me uh, in these types of debates that we're seeing here in the uh, chat per se, and on Twitter, on the timeline. Uh, Terradome had some interesting stuff. He said, if arm strength is all you needed, Jeff George, Warren Moon, Dan Marino, what that brings, how many they got. So, like, Jeff George, I get it. He's not a good quarterback. But Warren Moon and Dan Marino were outstanding quarterbacks. So, so like, it wasn't the fact that they had a strong arm wasn't enough to win it. They didn't, like, for Marino especially, he didn't have a D and he didn't have a run game. So, yeah, I mean, but, and, and again, like I said earlier, you know, not having a strong arm, you can still be great. It's just easier to be great if you have a strong arm. There's plenty of strong arm busts. It's not a guarantee of greatness. No one said that. It's not the most, it's an important thing, but it's not the most important thing. It's sort of the way uh, I go on that. But what, what would you say to that, Rohan? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, I see the frustration here with Teradome, um in some of his comments. To me, I'm not sided with either quarterback. Arm strength is one thing. I pointed out, though, a couple of other things that are needed where both quarterbacks could look to improve in. Both quarterbacks have pocket presence being one improvisation being another the biggest thing for me um I, I was on ryan hensley's show the other day and we talked about the five most important skills for a quarterback and accuracy was in there um uh progressions you know um going through your timing. progressions was in there for me timing accuracy going through your progressions there's a lot to the quarterback part and you talk about um arm strength and i think arm strength is it's more important in today's game than in the past 100 percent. I, I just think that that's just the way that prospects are made nowadays and that's altered the way that the game has been played but i also think that there are a lot of important things in the at the quarterback position where you know um that that don't necessarily involve um the the arm talent or arm strength or however you call it like i said with the accuracy with timing with improvisation with pocket presence, with going through progressions, all, all of the different things. I think that there are a lot of individual factors that go into a quarterback. And it, I, I don't understand the, the frustration because if I'm being honest, as I've said a couple of times in the past, if you're talking about floor, right now Brock Purdy has the higher floor solely because Absolutely. he's played in more games. 
Uh, the whole point of the whole point of the competition is to see if you can see a similar floor in the backup quarterback in Trey Lancer and Sam Darnold that can at least give you some confidence should Purdy be hurt or if uh, if a scenario in which he struggles when he comes back not in games but in practice if he struggles you know you have an option there in the waiting to where they could potentially take the starting job to begin the season and you know uh, have a chance to compete that's the way that it, that it goes. No doubt about it. Now, Teradome brings up another good point. He said, no one has more arm strength than Justin Herbert. Maybe not quite. I think Josh Allen maybe does, but they're in that cannon, mega cannon category. Uh, he said, Brock's got two more playoff victories. Right. So, you know, wins. I don't, are I, I mean, I, I don't really care. Yeah. Like, uh, one I mean, QB wins. The other. I, you know, QB wins are, are they're not nothing but they're not everything either. You know, you have to take context and look at it. And Jack Hammer posted like Herbert's first, you know, whatever six or eight games uh, versus Purdy's and they're, and they're somewhat similar. I mean, you know, Herbert had more yards, but Purdy had better interceptions to TD ratios and that kind of thing. It also doesn't show Herbert's mobility, but I basically just, I quote tweeted it. And I said, this is a cry for help because I'm sorry, I'm not ready to compare Brock Her- Brock Purdy to to Justin Herbert right now. I just feel like Herbert on our team would just destroy what any QB we've ever seen do here. Uh, you know, Herbert didn't have the weapons we have. He didn't have Kyle. I don't think their O line was very good when Herbert was a, a rookie. Um, and ultimately, he was supposed to kind of sit behind um, uh, Tyrod Taylor, but uh, the doctor punctured his lung when he got broken ribs, and he came in and did great, no doubt, one of the best rookie seasons ever told Purdy. Um, but I just think he had a lot less um, help than Purdy did. Do you agree with that, Rohan, or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to say on this. Um, individually, Justin Herbert is a better quarterback. Um, That's all I was I looking mean, for. And I, I don't like I don't like the comparisons like this. I don't I think they're unnecessary because like I'm not trying to demean Brock Purdy by saying Justin Herbert's a better quarterback. In my opinion, he's a top six, top seven quarterback. And so, yeah, I, I think that you know you, you definitely have two arguments to it. And Purdy has Purdy has done well in this kind of a uh, system, in this kind of system. So good for good for him. And again, what I said, I don't care who starts. I'm looking to just see who's the best quarterback for the 49ers in 2023. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Darnold and Lance are competing. So that's a knock on Lance. And it's just like, I think Lance wants to compete. I think he wants to compete, improve. I don't think he, I don't think he has any hesitations. I, I think he believes in himself and I think a lot of people believe in him. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but uh, I don't know about, um, um, uh, yeah. And anyway, um, Let's see here. As far as, um, yeah, I got kind of got lost in the chat. We're got a little bit behind, but um, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't think it's fair to compare Purdy to, to Justin Herbert. Um, maybe if he continues to improve or whatever, or if he can prove that he can win with less than what we had last year, then I'm more open to that. Or if Herbert gets a similar type of situation in, in, uh, on the chargers and, and still falls short than maybe, but 
Um, you know, so far with what they both had, I don't think it's easy to compare them. And I just don't think that uh, Purdy is in that. Like you said, six or seven. I've got a maybe top five, but we're, we're close about where we see Herbert. And we both have Purdy outside the top 10. So um, not ready to compare them head to head, I suppose. Um, as far as other stuff in the news, um, there's been obviously lots of stuff going on. Actually, I saw a poll today. Uh, Ryan Hensley did a poll where he was asking if we had to cut one player right now, would you cut CMC or would you cut Purdy? And uh, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts on that would be, Rohan. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are a lot of things that go into factor. I will remove the financials out of it for now just because I, I, I don't think that was the point of the poll. I'd remove the financials. It's more so important to the team. And I've been pretty clear in saying that I believe Christian McCaffrey was the team's MVP in offensive MVP. Well, yeah, offensive MVP because of Nick Bosa, obviously. But offensive MVP in 2023, which is – you know, pretty, pretty damn tough understanding he came only midway through the season. But there was a significant change when Christian McCaffrey touched the field. And I think that, especially in this offense, that's uncomparable. Mina Kimes earlier today gave a great statistical breakdown of the San Francisco offense pre and post Christian McCaffrey. Prior to McCaffrey's entrance in week eight, but really week nine, the 49ers offense ranked 21st in DVOA. 19th in EPA per play, 26th in QB rating, and 10th in yards per attempt. After CMC came to the team, they were first in offensive DVOA, first in EPA per play, second in QBR, and second in yards per attempt. That offense really took a, a huge step up once Christian McCaffrey joined the fold, and he impacts the game in more than just you know him getting the ball. It's him freeing up other receivers uh, more and more as well, just because, you know, there's more uh, more attention towards him. And quarterbacks feel more comfortable with the offensive game plan when Christian McCaffrey's in the fold, understanding that if they if uh, the pocket breaks down, if they can't get through all the production, protection, uh, sorry, progressions, or if there's not open receivers, you've got a guy who can take a check down uh, a couple of yards down the field, maybe even 10 yards down the field and really get a first down. So to me, that's the way that I look at it. I think Christian McCaffrey was the team's MVP last year. And I also think if you're looking at a cut, I, I think the drop-off between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance and what it could be in this 49ers offense, I think that you can stomach that understanding that Christian McCaffrey is still in the fold for the 49ers. Yeah, CMC is an absolute difference maker. I mean, you know, people want to say that, that, that you know, we lost the Chiefs game when he got here, but, like, he had, like, a, a half a practice one day and, like, one walkthrough practice, not even a, you know, hitting practice. And, you know, he didn't really know the playbook. By, by the second half, we had run out of plays that he knew. We barely saw him in the second half. I know he had more touches than any other running back in the game, but he was not the starter. Uh, Elijah Mitchell started the game, and Elijah Mitchell had the most rushing yards in the game. And uh, ultimately, no game that CMC started after that, the next 12 in a row that we won, four with Jimmy, eight with Brock Purdy, uh, CMC had a much bigger impact on all those games than he did against the Chiefs. And especially just look at the Rams game. The next week he came in, he threw a TD, he caught a TD, 
He ran a TD in the trifecta. It was such a great uh, win over the Rams. I, in fact, that was, I started TED Talks Ball the next week uh, with Aaron Labig and I had my first show that next Wednesday. And um, it was it was amazing because we had swept the Rams again. And more importantly, you know, they were trying to get CMC too. They had made an offer pretty comparable to ours. I think we just had one more fourth-round pick, and they tried to throw in Cam Akers or somebody instead of a fourth-round pick. And so not only had we swooped them for CMC, but we had swept them for the fourth season in a row. And then they really fell apart after that. They they uh, didn't win, they won one more game while they were still in contention to make the playoffs uh, in 2022, and only one more game after they were out of contention and ended up five and twelve for the season. So they say they like to say they they won the game that counted or, or that mattered the most. I'd say that one mattered quite a bit. Maybe not the most, but. Uh, that was a pretty impactful winning of the trade for CMC and then winning of the game against the Rams that next week after the Chiefs. And then that started the, the win streak. So, yeah, CMC is incredible. Um, I'm just excited to hopefully see like CMC 2022, CMC in 23, and hopefully 2021 Debo in 23, and, and maybe some sort of vintage Kittle. I mean, I can only imagine if all of our weapons and Ayuk seems to be progressing it's just sort of an embarrassment of riches on offense and maybe just only getting better. Yeah. Can't wait to see what this offense is. And I think the 49ers are in a good spot. Debo Samuel seems the most motivated he's been after obviously the contract extension last year, all the uh, hoopla that came with that came out of shape. Didn't have a good 2022 according to his expectations. Uh, you can see it statistically, you can see it on the film. And I pointed out, you know, the effort, especially when he wasn't getting the ball, wasn't really as high, but he seems motivated this year. He's talked about it. And I, I think that that's a good sign for the 49ers. I also said earlier this year that I think this is a critical offseason for almost every single 49ers skill position player. Brandon Ayuk's on his way to an extension. He wants the best season possible to get the most money possible. Debo Samuel understands the 49ers might have to choose between him and Brandon Ayuk. He's motivated to stay on the team. He's motivated to see the amount, uh, the remainder of his contract. He's probably motivated to stay in San Francisco too. And so I think that that could, you know, that that motivation is there. George Kittle, the 49ers, he's the easiest guy to move off of next offseason. You designate him as a post-June 1st cut or trade. You save 50% of the money that uh, you can make or that, that George Kittle is owed. He He's owed about $19 million in a cap hit uh, next year. You can save about 9 to $10 million on that contract next year should the 49ers need to do so. Same with Samuel. If you designate him as a post-June first trade, there's, you know, it's, it's a possibility. And the 49ers may have to make one of those tough moves understanding where their cap situation will lie next offseason. So I think that, you know, there are a couple of different um, – implications in place for this 2023 season and that could be i mean it's the best sign if we're seeing all the top players really competing at their highest level this year there you go there you go that's interesting you say kittle he's my favorite player rohan we can't we can't trade kittle uh but i mean that's my you know emotional side but you know my business side and rational side uh we drafted two tight ends didn't we and we drafted not drafted, but uh, signed an undrafted player, Jack Coletto, who's probably more of a fullback. But if you play full, I don't know, that's maybe another option to to take some tight end reps potentially. So interesting. Yeah, I I hope we keep Kittle. Um, 
But, you know, like you said, it's a business. It's a salary capped league. We're going to be paying Bosa. We're going to have to pay Ayuk. Um, can't keep everybody. Can't keep all these highest paid people at every position. Um, one position that would make a lot of sense to me to replace would be Trent Williams. But how do you do that? You know, I mean, how do you replace the best left tackle in football? One of the best that I can ever remember. I mean, the, his ability to run block and pass block, it's just incredible. Nobody is like that top five in both. Uh, it's incredible. So uh, Teradome was saying, so averaging 33.5 points per game doesn't matter. It absolutely matters, Teradome. Purdy did a great job with that. But there are some things to keep in mind. Uh, in that Alex Rollins video, there was some good statistics to keep in mind that the defense forced one point, uh, 1.2 turnovers per game with Jimmy G and 2.4 turnovers per game with Brock Purdy. So a turnover, 1.2 turnovers per game difference, that, that takes a chunk out of seven points, probably at least three points out of it. And then I've been saying for a while that, you know, Brock Purdy played some bad and banged up defenses. Um, so, um, you know, that, that's part of it too. Um, the cards defense that we played at the end of the season, it basically had JJ Watt, uh, Isaiah Simmons, and like the other safety not named Buda Baker were the only three starters from the beginning of the season, uh, the regular starters. And Isaiah Simmons went down pretty early in that game. Um, so that, that cards D was a shell of itself. The Seattle defense was ranked 25th. We played them twice with Purdy. Um, you know, in the Bucks D that was was top ten at one point in the season, maybe at the end of the season as well. They were missing a ton of guys. Two safe, both starting safeties. Sean Murphy Bunting has a real good corner, and then Vita Vea went down really early in the game. He's one of the best defensive tackles in the game. If you're if you're the tenth best defense, you lose all those guys. You're not top ten. You may not even be top fifteen at that point. So, um, anyway, uh, I, I really like Purdy, but it, I'm not going to sit here and just go off stats. You got to look at the context behind the stats as well, too. Stats can be I'll misleading without context. Yeah. I'll say this. I mean, you're right, but I'm not going to take away anything from Brock Purdy for who he played. You play who you play. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to try and say he played this specific defense so his stats were like this. I I don't really break it down in terms of how like I don't I don't really break it down in terms of defense because to me when I look at failed it's are you making the right reads? Because even when you play easy defense or tough defense regardless you still got to make the right reads and sometimes even when you maybe you threw for 60 percent compared to 80 percent but even when you throw for 60 percent to compare to 80 percent you might be still making the right reads and that doesn't take away from you as a quarterback and so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and you know uh say this or that but i did i've, I've said it a couple of times i mean throughout the year last year and this year purdy did a lot of things good there are a couple of things to improve on. And the main thing I think that really where people got caught up is the storyline's amazing. Brock Purdy as a storyline is wonderful because you, you never see a seventh-round pick doing what Brock Purdy did immediately, having the swagger and poise that he did. But as a pure NFL quarterback, I'm not going to say that he's a top-10 quarterback. I'm not going to say that. I, I, I just don't believe that based on the limited sample size that we've seen and things like that. Do I think he can be? Yeah, I think he could develop into it, and if he does, the 49ers have their franchise, not franchise, but a quarterback that they believe can win a Super Bowl. Context 100% matters. I agree with that, but I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try and, you know, give, say it one way or another. You play who you play. I more so evaluate how 
that play essentially goes depend uh, based on how what what game it is. There you go. Uh, there you go. I, I I like that. Yeah, you you definitely can't control who you play, and every every defense that he played was an NFL defense, and you know they know how to scheme against you. So yeah, I mean I'm not saying it's a huge thing. It's just when you're split, when you're getting down into the finer details. Those are some things I look at. Real quick, just want to say hi to uh, Beto from Niner Sickness Podcast. Everybody, make sure you give him a like and a subscribe. Check out some of his videos. Beto has these really cool overlays that are dynamic with like flames and all kinds of stuff. I'm very jealous. I'm gonna have to get a Mac to try and uh, copy what he does. It's it's awesome work he's doing and great content too. He likes to joke. He has to do that to make up for his content, but he's being facetious. He has awesome content as well. And then also. Another creator in here, Just Fans Podcast. Uh, I think he's part of either um, the Let's Talk Sports that I simulcast to or the Hardcore Sports that I simulcast to. But thanks for joining. We appreciate everybody. Be sure to check out Just Fans. I think they're out of Houston. I think I saw today or recently. Uh, so uh, if you're a Houston sports fan, uh, check them out. And they, they probably do other towns as well, too. Um so what else we got, Rohan? I know we're running short on time. We got you got another show at six thirty. Do you, do you need some time to prep for that? I don't want to like run you right up to the last minute if you need to, you know. No, I gotta just step out, grab for a water at six thirty. We got we got about yeah, we can go for another three four minutes. So you got a little bit of time. Cool beans. I just never want to like you know run you ragged or take it to the last possible second. But the but the chat's hopping and, and it's been great having you on. So I appreciate a few more minutes to uh, bend your brain and get your opinions. Um, what else has been going on in Ninerland? Um, I, I saw you did a show today with John Chapman. You guys did an offensive draft. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, get some people some reasons to uh, go back and rewatch? Yeah, I mean, me and John, we we, we kind of did this last year. We debuted it. Fans loved it, so we decided to bring it back. It's essentially an all-offense draft. It's a snake draft that we do. Uh, the, the point of the exercise, you essentially draft an 11, 11 man team of offensive players based on what the 49ers 2023 roster is like. The idea of it, you're trying to craft a team, so obviously there's a little fun in doing that, but also evaluating where the 49ers are strongest at in regards to depth. It's something that you can clearly see when you take these players. Obviously, 49ers pretty strong at running back right now in terms of depth. Another area that they're strong at, you could say, is quarterback and wide receiver. Some areas they're weaker at, tight end, offensive line in terms of depth. And so, you know, the exercise kind of tells you what the state of the 49ers roster is. If you guys want, go back and check that out on my channel uh, later on. Would it be a spoiler to ask who like went number one or you want to, yeah. I don't want to spoil it or give it people no, not I mean, a reason I'm not good. to go watch. Okay. So I went, I, I had the first pick, John had the second and third. I went with Trent Williams first, just thought the drop off between him and the next tackle was just Massive. way too high for, for, for him, me not to select him. John then went with, I believe he went with George Kittle. And Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey, obviously, like I said, 49ers offensive MVP last year. And the, the the he was really the backbone of that offense for a good portion of time. And then he went with George Kittle, drop off at tight end, similar to the one at offensive tackle, I'd say, in that, you know, it's 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 a bit of a drop off afterwards. And so he went that. Go out and check the rest after that. Cool beans. Thanks, Rohan. Uh Teradome was talking about some of the good defenses that uh, Purdy faced. 
And and Purdy did face some good defenses. I didn't say that. I said they were mostly bad or banged up. So there were 12 defenses, and here we have three. And of those three, we'd already talked about Tampa Bay was banged up. And the Commanders, they're, they're a good defense. They're only missing Cam Curl. He's not really a pass defender. He's a strong safety. He was their second leading tackler, and sometimes if you're weak against the run, it causes you to compensate, which will hurt your pass defense. But the problem that the Commanders had was they gave us the ball four times inside the 35. So I don't care what your defense is. If you do that, you're giving up like 12 to 28 points uh, off of off of those possessions. So, um, you know, ultimately – uh, there were some mitigating factors that made even the good defenses look not as good. And some of it was coaching. Riverboat Ron went for it on fourth down inside his 35. Riverboat Ron went for an onside kick when he should have kicked it away, in my opinion. I said it at the time, and of course it came true, that you know if you trust your defense, if the defense is that good, then you kick it away and you had over two minutes left to stop us and get the ball back. So anyway, I, I, I can tell you don't want to ask. We already said not to go over that, but... We also are coming up on it here at 6.30, so I'll just say, Rohan, uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on, as always. Um, and uh, thanks to everyone in the audience who came out. And, I'll, um, you know, uh, you got anything coming up, Rohan, that you want to promote as far as shows today, tomorrow, early next week? Nope. Done for today. Tomorrow we will see. I'm not sure. Normally I go Monday through Thursday of the week. Next Monday, though, we'll likely be back with some content. And, uh, you know, it'll be another fun week. we going through some exercises. We did all offense with John Chapman this week. Likely next week we'll do an all defense type of thing. But, Ted, I appreciate your time and uh, appreciate the invite onto the show. And it was a fun one. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, you're welcome back anytime, as you know. And we'll have to do it uh, when there's some new stuff to talk about. So thanks again. Have a great day. Great weekend. I'll say peace and go Niners. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.